0: Just one thing, um, it's it's a bit of a PR kind of thing, but we're organizing a a, um, a trip to Israel this later this year, and um, Keith Dyer and probably myself will go with a group to Israel and Jordan, and we're looking for a group of between 26 and 35 people to go with us, so I'll not say anything more about that, but if you're interested in doing that, and you have that on your heart already for a long time, it would be a really good opportunity to, um, to, um, to join us. You're not too old, you're not too young to do that. So think about it and if you like, see me after the service and I'll give you more information about that if you like. So that was, I had really the task to do this and Keith Dyer said to me, you should kind of mention the Israel trip." I said, okay. So I did that now. Now, um, I would like to read with you from the Gospel of Matthew and that's a big gospel. So I'll, I'll pick just some pieces from the 13th chapter where it starts with the parable of the weeds. So chapter 13, verse 24. I'll read up to um, uh, a bit more than the 30 and then I'll skip to 36 for the explanation Jesus gives to his disciples. <clears throat> Jesus told them another parable Matthew writes, "'The kingdom of heaven is like a man who sowed good seed in his field. But while everyone was sleeping, his enemy came and sowed weeds among the weed, and went away. And when the weeds sprouted and formed heads, then the weeds also appeared. The owner's servants came to him and said, "'Sir, didn't you sow good seed in your field? Where then did the weeds come from?' "'An enemy did this,' he replied. The servants then asked him, do you want us to go and, and pull them up? No, he answered, because while you are pulling the weeds, you may uproot the wheat with them. Let both grow together until the harvest. And at that time, I will tell the harvesters, first collect the weeds and tie them in bundles to be burned, then gather the weed and bring it into my barn. Jesus spoke all these things to the crowd in parables. He did not say anything to them without using a parable. So was fulfilled what was spoken through the prophet. I will open my mouth in parables. I will utter things hidden since the creation of the world. Now the explanation, verse 36. Then he, Jesus, left the crowd and went into the house. His disciples came to him and said, Explain to us the parable of the weeds in the field. And he answered, The one who sowed the good seed is the son of man. The field is the world, and the good seed stands for the people of the kingdom. The weeds are the people of the evil one, and the enemy who sows them is the devil. The harvest is the end of the age, and the harvesters are angels. As the weeds are pulled up and burned in the fire, so will it be at the end of the age. The Son of Man will send out His angels, and they will weed out of His kingdom everything that causes sin and all who do evil. They will throw them into the blazing furnace, where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Then the righteous will shine like the sun in the kingdom of their Father. Whoever has ears, let them hear. This is the Word of God. Now, folks. Sorry, folks, but I don't want to. I don't want to spoil the party this morning. But um, it's, it's great singing and having, the, you know, communion and all that, and no better things that you could imagine to do in the church, right? But to be honest, for many people nowadays, believing in God, faith in God, are not so self-evident. As we think, and and maybe I, I'm not I'm not sure how honest we all are here, of course, and I, I need to get to know you a bit, and, and but I, I'll try to be as honest as I can. But to me personally, sometimes I really struggle with the idea of of a God who is is powerful and almighty. And maybe you feel like, huh, what, what, what's this all about? What what track are you going? What road are you going down now? So is this is this something to talk about in church about? Questioning the almighty power of God? Oh. Are you still with me? <laughs> now, um, that's why I, I put this theme up for this morning. Innocent, between brackets here, innocent suffering and faith in God. Now, you, you could just switch to the next sheet, uh, please. Um, why? why does God allow suffering? Uh, Just a disclaimer at the beginning. I'm not going to give all the answers because I I simply don't know all of the answers, but at least I try to give some, right? And and, in that sense, I might be, you know, taking this party a bit in a different way. Sorry. Now, if God is almighty, how can he allow innocent suffering of so many people? Is that a theoretical question? or rhetorical question. If if God is a a God of love, this this is almost impossible. If God is a moral just God, why does he allow so much suffering? For many people it's really inconceivable that that an almighty and loving God and a moral just God allows innocent people to die just like that. Imagine, a God who is morally good and just will not allow a toddler to drown in a bath. Certainly not when the only thing he had to do is to pull the plug of the bath out in time. What kind of of God is this? And this is the refrain again and again and again through the ages. I mean, we're not, we're not alone in this question. So this is the refrain all the time. If God is a moral God, if God is a loving God, if God is an almighty God, why? Put up the next, please. Why did God allow the possibility of evil and suffering? As you know, I'm Dutch, and, and um, just one and a half week ago, this report came out from the, this shooting down of the MH17. Three years ago, I was in Sydney for a summer school, and uh, there were two guys in the group I was teaching at Morling College, one of our fellow colleges in, in, uh, in, in Australia. And, you know, there were two Ukrainian guys in the group. And they, they told me that they were sooner, uh, later on in the year, it was like February, they would go to, to see their parents in Kiev, in, in Ukraine, and they were really looking forward to that. And, and then a few months later, they, uh, they had visited their parents, and they were traveling back through Amsterdam uh, to go back home to Sydney, where they lived and studied. And then these poor two guys, they got killed because they flew back over their home country while the plane got shot. When I heard when I heard this, my heart was broken, really. I'd been teaching them. I had got to, I got to know them in this this, this short week of training and, and sharing and, and, and ministry together and, and and their lives were over like many others in that, in that aircraft. Why? Why is that happening? Why why does that that these things happen so as if, as, if, as if God is not at all in the story. Oh yeah, you can say, well, you know, wait a minute. God is there afterwards, of course, to comfort all the people that are left over. But what a story. How does that really help? Couldn't he just send a, a, a lost group of crows onto this missile to kind of take it a bit to the other side? stupid Russian soldiers. They, may, have even not, they may, may not even have done it on purpose. But why? Was it really impossible for God to influence the voting behavior of the American presidential elections? <laughs> Sorry for that one. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not going to mention his name this morning, um, but, but okay, for, for a number of people, you can put up the next one, for, for a number of people, quite a few people in my environment and students I worked with for over a, a number of years, they, they would tell me, the conclusion is very easy, if God is not doing these things, not stopping these things, then he can't simply exist Some others would say, well, I struggle with it. I do no longer believe in God. But of course, I miss him. I wonder whether he could come down from heaven with his fiery sword and cut just all the evil out of everything and everywhere. If he really had the power, he would do that. Just cut it out and end all tears. You know as I said, I don't have all the answers, but I, I try to cling with all my heart to scripture here and try to understand, because I think we, 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 are, we are not... These questions are not new, and, and in the Middle Ages, they had funny questions about it. we were two monks who were having a meal together, and that was, let's say, around 1350. So it's a long time ago. And um, so the, these two guys had a, had a conversation, and one of them said, ah, is God Almighty... And the other one said, well, you know what, if he, if he could make a rock he cannot lift, then he would be almighty. It's a funny joke, of course, because how can you make a rock you can't lift? But let's stick to the story here. Now, there are quite a few answers to, to this question about suffering. So let's let's just put them up on the next sheet. I hope you can uh, maybe a bit hard to read them, but so the, I would say there are old questions and also new answers, but also in a way they have been they have been around through the centuries. Now, the first answer, the first possible answer to all these questions could be listen, it's easy. God is just not powerful enough. Suffering is what happens in this world, even having a cold, it's just, just a matter of, of coincidence. It's just a matter of chaos. God is not punishing us through suffering. It is simply the effect of chaos and faith. So evil exists by fate and by accident, and, and it's just about being accidental powers and, and, and chaotic stuff. And God, you know, we just need to accept, really, this few holes that we... We just, we just need to accept that God cannot manage it all. You know, he's, he's a strong God, but really, He, he um, it is just coincidence. So this little girl dropping off, falling off her bike at the age of eight and dying six months after with a tumor, it's just coincidence, some would, would argue. It's nothing to do with God, really. Well... You listen in really well to this view, and you think, ah, it 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 it, it's, it 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 might be wrong to talk like that. Now others would say, no, God is like the potter in Jeremiah; we are the clay, and God shapes the clay according to His own will. And and it sounds a bit like the form of view, but with this with this difference that God is not really able to to perfect, perfect the clay. He cannot, he cannot mold it in, in the most perfect way as he wanted to. So the only thing he, 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 is, he is constantly doing is to, to try to convince me and you to, 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 to take this world as it is and, and, and journey for the best options. It's a wonderful, wonderful world, even with all the risks. Let's be honest. It's a wonderful world out here, even with all the risks around, and we should just try to make the best of it. And God, God really, you know, God is involved, but He took enormous risks in doing this. But He's not insensitive to what happens to us, He created the best possible world. Life is like a, taking a taxi with a drunk taxi driver. You know, you come back from a concert or whatever, nice, had a nice meal, get into a taxi, and suddenly you discover pff, the smell of the alcohol is really bad and the, the driver is drunk. Ah, he says, come on, join the taxi, I'll take you home. But you feel like, you know, it's, it's yeah. You know, at least whatever happens, the taxi driver says, I'm with you. Well, thank you. <laughs> Bump into a tree, thank you, you know. Uh, it's, it's, it's itching still here. Again, others would, 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 would go a bit a different way and say, well, you know, it's, it's very easy. And that's, according to them, of course, the best way to go. It's just suffering is just for most part of it. It's just a result of our abuse, our own abuse of free will. We just made a mess of things. In fact, they would argue there is no innocent suffering. There's only suffering that is caused by the fact that we don't do what God what God wants us to do. Now listen up, there are Ten Commandments. If we try to live a bit within the lines of those, that will be fine. Don't steal, don't don't lie, don't take your neighbor's wife. Whatever, you know those are really clear indications about god's will so if you if you step out of that those lines uh, beyond that lines of course it's clear you will be suffering it's just the logical consequence of it the trouble is that it's not so easy to understand things like natural disasters like that now is the i mean experiencing some of those tsunamis in recent years Killing thousands of people, is that, is that, does that make sense to, 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 to allot the death of thousands of people to something that was being done wrong by others? Oh, sometimes it is. If I drink too much and I drive in my car, I will not just lose my driving license, but I will run the risk of hitting someone and maybe even killing someone, of course. But I'm aware that that's not the whole story. So finally there is a fourth group and they would say, well, you know, God's ideal world is, is, is not really about a kind of an eternal holiday trip into, into the Caribbean, that would be nice, but God's, God's ideal world is a world of growth, of maturing. It's a world where, where there are much more demands around us. And 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 we will we will we will need at some point some some well suffering maybe to grow to change so so this Id- idea of of suffering is really much more related to to soul growing and to to maturing to rising above the chaos and help us to understand the real goals God is after in our lives so sin and suffering bring us up to the point where where we learn to accept God's loving call upon us. And of course, again, you could say, well, going through some of those experiences might, might at some point lead us to, to, to surrender to God. And I, and I think we, some of us would, would be really having those experiences. Well, I went through this, this terrible period, and, and I think, though I don't believe God gave it to me, still I believe that, that it helped me to, to, to become a different person. And I matured through it. But isn't that always afterwards? Now Jesus, you can put up the next one. Jesus, Jesus shared parables, and we read the this, this story. You know this parable of the seed and uh, the landlord sowing the seed, and then the enemy coming in and sowing weeds am- am- among the seeds. The, the good, the bad stuff about uh, among the, 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 good, the good stuff, and the servants coming up, and they. They um, they talk to the landlord of what has happened and and, and actually th- these parables they serve, and I'll be short, I'll be short on that one, they really serve as a guide for confused disciples, because they struggle in understanding God's ways and God's, God's future. And I think there are at least three main questions that rise out of this story of Matthew 13. You could put up the next, yeah? Now, ah, here they are. God, did you do this? God, can we fix it? And God, will it always be like this? Those are the three questions that come out of this story. Now, the first one. So, you, you heard the story. So, so, these servants, what happens is this landlord has sown the good seed, and, and, and the servants immediately go to their master, and they want to know how this is possible. And in fact, if you read really down the Greek worthy of it they are angry they are angry because they feel like they have been they have been kind of you know misled the character of the and the intent of the master is at stake here and you hear it a bit in the question they ask did you sow good seed you did sow good seed didn't you what are your motives god What are your motives? Did you start this? Have you done this? Did this little girl drop off her bike because of you? Did these two students from Kiev die because of you? The leukemia your sister's eldest child is struggling with. And it feels like we're not so used to that, but it feels like they raise the fist against God. Or others would say, "He, what you're doing, what they're doing here is really put, God's, put, put their finger in God's eye." and say, "Well, God, what are you doing?" And We feel a bit uncomfortable with that because we think, "Ah." Oh. And I, um, you know, I lived in a country with lots of reformed and Calvinist people, nice people normally. Like Baptists are really nice as well. Um, and and, and these, these, these people, they, they would say, wow, well, well, God is sovereign. So back off and, and don't, don't approach God with, with a fist to heaven. Why should you? You know, you, you, you can't do that. God is sovereign and, and, and you, you, oops, you need to be careful here. And, and, and you can't just talk to God in the eye and, and, and face him with it. Well, these servants here, they do. They point right into his eye and they say, well, you know, God, where are you? Are you involved in this? I really, I believe it creates space. It creates space to be who you are if you try and do that. It's not a bad thing to, and it might even be a proof of faith. More than a lack of faith. Elie Weasel, the uh, former, and he has already passed away, but the Nobel Prize winner, Elie Weasel once told the story about this Jewish family that was expelled out of, out of Spain during the war. Big family, and one by one the family members died, and in the end, only the father of the family survived. And in the grief of his many losses, he, he recorded a prayer and he wrote it down and he, he, he cried out to God and he said, Lord of the universe, I know what you want. You want despair to ring in me. You want me to stop believing and praying. You you would like me to stop praising your name every day. But I'll tell you, no. No. thousand times no. I I will not do that. You will not succeed in this. In spite of you. I will keep singing and praying. This song. It will not die in me. God of Israel. You know, this question, God, did you do this? Leads right into this, this, this kind of approach to creating space for your own questions of God. And they are, they are viable questions, and they are important questions, and they should be asked whenever they are around. Jesus is quite clear in verse 28. It's quite clear. God did not do this. An enemy did this. The evil. And and I think you you would never find a more powerful answer by Jesus than this one. Here in in this passage of scripture. The evil and suffering in this world are not God's plan and doing. He is not the architect of evil. He has not sown this seed. He did not want this 26-year-old young woman to die. He has not caused it. It is not from him, not even from his left hand, as some others would claim. God is light, and there is no darkness in him. 1 John 1 verse 5. So Jesus' answer in this parable and through this parable is so extremely powerful. God does not plant evil in the fields of our lives. He doesn't. He does not create evil in order for us to choose whether we could have our souls grown a bit more or not. Evil and sin are God's enemies, as we read. And the enemy is the devil. The superhuman reality, striving against God and all good. And I don't know where he came from. I'm sorry. I don't know whether he really fell out of heaven or where he was already there. I don't know. I really don't know. I'm sorry. But he is the intruder. He is the intruder and he is the author of evil, really. Now, the second question. God, can we fix it? Ah. This is where the real Calvinists come in, because they want to do something. They want to rush into the fields, and they want to, to take out all the, all the stuff and all the evil right away. You know, be aware, I'm not talking here about doing justice, right? We need to do justice, and we need to do it very often. But at the same time, there is this risky enterprise of, of rushing very impulsively into the fields and, and trying to cut out every evil, and that is a risky enterprise because that might lead to taking the good stuff out as well. And therefore, it's a posture of arrogance. If we would think that we could do it all. I remember George, Bush, George W. Bush Jr. with his story about um, um, the way he would treat the, uh, the terrorists or whoever they were uh, attacking the Twin Towers many years ago. I remember, he was talking about it. he said, well, um, you know, he said, we will, we will exterminate, I think something like that, literally, we will exterminate all evil and all wrongdoers. That was quite a promise, wasn't it? And see what happened? Are we aware of what happened? Didn't that lead to more misery? So whether political or rhetoric, political rhetoric or not, what would this really mean? And, and, and to be on really honest, and I'm now talking about myself here, I have a hard time coping with my own sin. What about you? Can you eradicate all your sin in your life? Come on. I thought they would say, yes, yes we do. <laughs> we just celebrated the Lord's <laughs> Supper. Of course, no, that, 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 that's fine, and we should keep doing that, but... This is this is the truth we we have a hard time coping with our own sin and we need quite a bit of quite a bit of microsurgery to get it all out right let alone let alone trying to get all the sin and suffering of the world out the servants and the disciples therefore they have they have a hard time because this is not the way probably this is not the way the master wants to go this impulsive running into the fields of evil could convey them, could convey the message that we manage it all. We don't. And there's this interesting way this relates to Jesus because Jesus could use his power to wipe out all evil at once. Why isn't, why isn't he doing that? I mean, think about the story in Gethsemane when he, when he is kind of caught by the priests and the Roman soldiers, and there is this this disciple who who cuts one of their ears off, and and he said, and he's his reaction is not, well, go on and kill them all, and set me free, and no, what he does is actually said, well, put this sword away. Don't you think that I'm capable of calling in 12 legions of angels? Why didn't he do that? Well, it's not God's way. It's not God's approach. But we would like to do it sometimes. Join God coming down with fiery swords cutting out every evil without any hesitations. But I wonder who would make it? Who? God's power takes the shape of the cross. And I'm, I'm, I'm constantly reminded when I read those stories that even the miracles Jesus did, did not wipe out all evil and suffering permanently. What happened to Lazarus, for example? He was raised from the dead, but what happened afterwards? He died again, I assume, right? There are not so many people who died twice. He's one of them. But the reason why I'm 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 saying this is, re- is really about all these miracles we pray for, but also the miracles Jesus was showing in his ministry. They were, I think, they were they were signs of a much deeper healing. They were signs of a much deeper cure. People didn't get healed because of the miracles by themselves, but they got healed because, because God was showing the power of his kingdom. They were, they, were, they were meant to draw people into the indestructible love of God. Nothing else. Final question. God, will it always be like this? Well, we read the text, but it's, it's evident it will not be like this forever. Jesus explains it that there will be a time when when he send his angels he, they will harvest what has been grown and they will also take down what is really opposing god the evil will get wiped out the evil one will be will be taken down forever and that's where where we struggle as well because it's about patience it's about endurance it's about trusting god that that finally this this indestructible love of god will will finally have the have the final say about all that and tears and pain will be passed will be will, will pass now maybe you want to show the last picture Celebrating the Lord's Supper, the Communion, reading the text as we did. I think they focus on on this picture and basically on this hand here of Jesus. That's where I would like to to end with. The picture might be a bit wrong because it shows Jesus' hand pierced. Um, and to be to be right, I think the the Scars of the nail should be about a bit deeper here, on the wrist. As people were crucified, they would put them hang them on their wrists instead of their hands. But you remember when he came to see his disciples after resurrection, what he did? He said, "Peace be to you." He, he appeared right through their doors while they were together, and they, they saw his, his still healing, healing wrists where he was crucified. And Peter, uh, Jude, uh, not Peter, um, one of the disciples was, uh, you know, was, was really worried about, Thomas was really worried about what happened, and, and he's, he wanted to know whether this was real, so he had to put his finger in Jesus' side, side and, and can you imagine that after being resurrected? But it, it means something, that there is apparently some process of healing going on, And I think that's, that's the image here, to cling to the healing power of Christ, to trust that, that what is God doing, what God is doing, let's say, in his sometimes stealth operation, in his movements under the radar. Like these two other parables that f- go before and go after the parable we read, like you know, the parable about the mustard seed and the parable about the yeast in the dough. They, they need to be held together really in, in, in good harmony here because this is showing God's way in the world as the yeast in the dough. God's way in the world is as the yeast in the dough and as the mustard seed, but nevertheless present and active. I believe strongly that is God's way to heal the world. This is the way His way of sharing in the wholeness and in the wounds of his son. To become wounded healers ourselves. People who are on a daily basis facing, facing what it means to be disciples and followers of the one that was crucified, resurrected, exalted on high, and coming back to put all evil back. In the hands of that crucified one, we see the indestructible love of God. I pray that we experience God's blessings in all this and that we can share a bit more about what it means to be followers of Christ in a world full of confusion. Let's pray together. Dear God and Father, we, we praise you for who you are. We praise you that you are not the architect of evil, We praise you for the fact that you will, at some point, put an end to everything. And that we are, as your disciples, on the way to completion and fulfillment. And as we grow, as we mature, help us to understand where you lead us. Help us to understand your will. And also, Lord, show us where you are present in our lives with your indestructible love, And we pray that you will make us share by bits and pieces on a daily basis in the power of your resurrection. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.